Hello everybody, this is Curtis from Tremble letting you know that we are brought to you by Shudder. Shudder is the horror movie streaming service that brings you all the latest and greatest that horror has to offer. But you don't have to take my word for it. You can use TremblePod, that's T-R-E-M-B-L-E-P-O-D, when you sign up for an account. This will give you a free 30-day trial on us, so you can check it out for yourself. With that said, let's get on with this week's episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Tremble, the horror movie podcast. I'm your host, Curtis. With me, as always, Steve. How's it going, Steve? Yeah. Doing well, doing well. It's uh, I. This is an exciting, uh, yeah. Because it's no no secret that we do two recordings in a row. No. Uh, and this one's really, as far as like a horror podcast goes, this is super special, and it's kind of really cool to to do this. Uh, just heading into Halloween week. Yeah. Really, because. Uh, let's just get it out in the open. George A. Romero doubleheader right here. Also, uh, Tom Savini double feature too. I mean, yes, so absolutely. <laughs> uh, and and one of them, um, one of these films is just bombastic. Tom Savini over the top, just like everything you know him for. And then the other one is like super freaking subtle stuff, and and it, I it, it plays to both. Savini's strengths and uh the the fascinating thing uh is I also think that this is the closest uh in Tom Savini's life to what inspired him was which was being like a Vietnam War photographer which is so disturbing when you think about it yeah I was I find that guy interesting in that like you know most visual effects guys they kind of just stand behind their work you know you don't really Mm -hmm. see them Mm -hmm. too much He's the kind of guy, like, not just uh, in terms of, like, interviews and documentaries, but, like, also just he's more than happy to jump, jump in front of the camera, too. And, um, yeah, he's, yeah. It's, it's great when he does. Sex that. machine. Yeah. Good old sex machine. Uh, I mean, and, and, and his comedic timing as sex machine, like, the when he changes to the vampire, when he's just, like, realizing that he's got teeth and, like, it, it, his change, I think is one of the best parts of From Dust Till Dawn. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I would also say that uh, um, he's like when he stepped behind the camera to do the to remake Night of the Living Dead in 1990, he fucking nailed it. I still hold true to Night of the Living Dead in 1990. It's such a great film. It takes that message and and punctuates it in a new way. And uh, I mean, was it? Uh, it was. Uh, it's not Barbara Crampton that's in that one. Uh, Tony Todd, the and the short-haired blonde lady, I forget what her name is, but uh, Bill Mosley, like it's 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 got some serious horror chops to it, uh, and, and that I mean predating Candyman for Tony Todd, so uh, yeah, I it's it's one of the best. Uh, I think it gets lost in the shuffle sometimes. But yeah, all leading back to Tom Savini, who got his break because George Romero wanted something more visceral to his mm-hmm. work, and and it was it was really perfect. Yeah, yeah, no, um, Romero's uh, kind of a bit of a blind spot for me. Like I know of a lot of his work, but I haven't really invested that much time in like checking out all of his stuff. So this doubleheader the week was uh, great. 
kind of showed me a little bit more of like his uh, repertoire of films. Like I've seen Night of the Living Dead. I've seen The Crazies. Um, but yeah, I haven't seen too many other of the zombie movies. But uh, yeah, Martin, the, which is the, the first one we're talking about this week, and then the second recording, which was Dawn of the Dead. Both of them I enjoyed. And I'm like, you know what? Why was this a blind spot for so long? Why was I just ignorantly yeah. like, hey, why, 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 why would I watch these movies? But uh, no, they, they were all fantastic. Um, and, uh, makes me want to go see, see more. That's for sure. Um, yeah, because you have to do Day of the Dead now. Yeah, I've heard that one's pretty like gory and pretty good, like in general. And it's it's it's, it's it develop it delves into a lot of uh, interesting shit like Cold War paranoia and just like mm-hmm. uh, you know military complex and and uh, there's just so much to it, and that's why I I mean. And, and it gets made, you know, horror fans like this get made fun of all the time mm-hmm. because people just can't accept it. But George Romero is incredible on social commentary, social satire. Uh, and I know it's an old trope to, to bring up his uh, finger on the pulse of that, but it's undeniable, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about Martin and, uh, Martin, uh, is an interesting movie. The official summary of Martin, young Martin is entirely convinced that he is an 84 year old blood sucking vampire without fangs or mystical powers. Martin injects women with sedatives, sorry, and drinks their blood through wounds inflicted with razor blades after moving in with Braddock Penn to live with his suspicious uncle, who also believes Martin is a vampire. Martin tries to prey exclusively on criminals and thugs, but stumbles when he falls for a housewife. Um, yeah. <laughs> kind of odd movie in that, like, like yeah, Martin is convinced that he's a vampire. And it's kind of sometimes questionable whether he is or he isn't. Yeah. yeah I, I, I think it definitely plays into mental psychosis. Um, and, and stuff like that, but I, I mean, at the heart of it, and, and it's also like a, a predictive trend that Romero has with his films. And this was 77 that this film came out. Um, this is an incel tale. Mm-hmm. Like there's no, there's no other way uh, of getting around this. Uh, of course there are points where Martin tries to play the, the straight and narrow and, and choose his victims to be more, helpful to society and everything but i mean the drugging of women and all this kind of stuff like it's still very much an incel tale uh in which that trope wasn't as recognized uh i mean you would have taxi driver and stuff a couple of years later and stuff but like you know it's like the, the these weren't as alarming as they are now no and i don't think uh, yeah, I don't think you can make Martin now. I don't think anybody's going to greenlit light uh, this story to no. get done now. Uh, you'd have to do this as super independent, super under hush hush and stuff. So, yeah, this is an anomaly. I think of a film now. Oh, a hundred percent. I think if he if he made it now, he he'd have some kind of mega hat on top of his head or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. in order to be, be really into the DC into universe. Uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, this, this movie's a tough movie to make nowadays. Um, 
But yeah, uh, why we chose it, I, I can't remember whether it was you or uh, Taylor who chose this, but... Uh, I might have brought it up, uh, it up because like uh, this is like... Because um, I, I, maybe, maybe I saw Dawn of the Dead or something on the list, and I'm like, oh, well, you know, if we're going to go Romero, um, especially like, like early Romero, because, mm-hmm. I mean, there was a certain point where he just started to either focus on his Stephen King collaborations... Or his zombie work, um, and leave these kind of films behind. And I really feel like this one gets lost in that shuffle. Yeah, I think I think I'm leaning more towards it must have been a you pick because yeah, it definitely kind of seems like a good compliment to Dawn of the Dead, which mm-hmm. uh, it, both are good movies, but this definitely yeah. I can see this going under the radar. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, maybe it's not too uh, crass to say, but you know, in trying to find this movie, I was only able to, able to watch it on YouTube. Like, there's no no Blu-ray, yeah. there's no available DVD. People are saying there's some DVD combo sets that have it included, but I couldn't find anything like weird. Yeah, I I originally, uh, I mean, if we're gonna get into the origin story of where I found it, uh, uh, my buddy that I did uh, uh, my uh, original podcasting with. Uh, Maddie, um, we were, I mean, I was like really big into Romero, uh, and it was like VHS collecting times. I just bought the, the special, the special edition as like a Divimax type thing, uh, a weird, weird case and everything, like one of those clamshell things. Mm-hmm. And, and he's like, oh, you should see Martin. And I'm like, I've never even, I don't even know what you're talking about. And he just brought it over and it sat on my shelf for like weeks before i put it in and while watching it i was like holy shit this is like i mean i brought up taxi driver but it really is his it's 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 romero scorsese focused character story yeah like it it is it is such uh like because there's such a broader scope to all of all of uh um romero's work on like an underlyingly global level Mm mm-hmm but this one is so focused. It's hyper focused, and uh, I, I I would have to say uh, the uh, John uh, John Ampelis just like heightens this movie as well because he's he's not dynamic at, in any shape or form. Mm-hmm. But um, that's I think the biggest selling point of Martin as a character. Oh, hundred percent. Um. Yeah, no, uh, this, this movie definitely surprised me. Uh, but yeah, first time uh, we watched it. Yeah, for me, this was the first time I watched it for the podcast. So yeah, uh, not not too maybe surprising. I'm sure for a lot of people, like hearing about it on this podcast will be the first time they've maybe heard of Martin or even considered watching it. So because mm-hmm. I think it is very underrated in a lot of ways and not mentioned in a lot of circles. So. Um, yeah, you're, it sounds like your first time. Yeah, you just got VHS. Like, yeah, VHS, like VHS. yeah, yeah, VHS. Because there is uh, an American release uh, DVD for it. It came out in 2004, mm. but um, I, I don't. I, I guarantee that guy is out of print now. Yeah, and the only way you're gonna find that is uh, like an. Like a weirdo Amazon or a eBay purchase, probably from some odd collector, because I don't think you're gonna find anything sealed anymore. 
Probably not. Oh, like, I know I tried looking it up on, like, Amazon to see if, like, maybe there was, like, some Blu-ray or something or something or of that nature that I could just, you know, get shipped out. But, yeah, the only thing I could really find was uh, a Blu-ray from 2005, but it was selling for $70 and and... The, the source was questionable. Like, people didn't have a high seller rating. So I was like, I don't know if this is probably worth it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, got a couple emails about this. Uh, one from Darren says, I love the ending to this movie so much. So sudden and doesn't hide it. I, mm-hmm. see, what, I, don't, know, I don't know what he's by doesn't hide it. But I think he means, like, doesn't hide the ferocity, I guess, of it. Or, like, just yeah. how crazy it gets. Because... Yeah, uh, yeah. The ending basically when uh, Martin gets uh, staked, or st- I don't know what the proper nomenclature would be for that. Something you know, uh, he, but he gets stabbed to death basically. Uh, yeah, it's, pre- it's pretty gruesome, and they don't yeah shy away from showing that at least, like the blood and blood and old Martin just being like, like yeah. I think even when they stab him, you see little spurts of blood kind of like flying out, which is pretty cool. So yeah, yeah, no, pretty- yeah. Pretty good ending, and I think it kind of works well because it's like you sort of are questioning the whole time: is he really a vampire? And it doesn't even answer it, but just the idea that that's well, yeah. If you drive a stake through someone's chest, they're going to die either way. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. It's not not going to you know be a case where they're going to get up and walk away from that, regardless of whether they're a vampire or not. So I thought that was kind of funny. I'm like, I don't think it's going to really make a difference either way on that one. But no, well, there's nothing that's cut and dry about this story at all. Like no. it's all it's all how you interpret it, um, uh, and I think I I think that the the biggest vein of this film is unacceptance, mm-hmm. and again it goes back to that incel nature. Uh, I mean, and he's all uh, Martin's always expecting people to mock him, anyways. Like he's yeah. always on guard for that, even with the talk show host. Like it. It's, I mean, I, and getting ahead of myself, it is like my favorite line point in the movie where the talk, show, the talk show host goes, live for yourself, whatever it takes to get through the night, right, Count? And Martin's like, are you making fun of me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, and it's funny because uh, the catharsis of what she's actually trying to talk to the talk show host for, and then it ends up giving him so much more vinegar into his system. Yeah. You know, it's like kind of. it's, he 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 kind of digs his inadvertently. He digs more of his own grave. Yeah, again, that kind of gets to his like incel nature. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Uh, Jolene says this reminded me of Dexter a lot. I can see it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody sort of with some kind of like a, like love darkness, of whether uh, uh, you know what to do with to do with it. Although I did see Dexter's coming back, and I don't know how I feel yeah. about that. I'm like, uh, uh, yeah. They, they I, I I love Michael C. Hall, so I'm like I'm like excited on that level. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I everyone has what they have to say about the final season. Uh, yeah, and I I mean I. I I'm like, okay, are we retconning then, or or is this like a new limited series? Like, there's just there's many questions. I honestly didn't expect to see that Dexter is returning. I didn't. I, I didn't. I didn't have that on my 2020 bingo card. No, 
I I remember I remember I posted I checked to see to see if it was kind of like parody account or something like that. And I'm like, right, no, it's actually from Showtime. I didn't believe it for like yeah, or like, or like Showtime's restreaming it or yeah. Or, yeah, it's like yeah, it, it was definitely a left field one. I and I don't think anybody anybody knew it was in development because we haven't heard the rumbling of Dexter since it ended. No. Oh, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. But yeah, I, I Dexter has definitely owes um some some of its uh, substance to Martin for sure. Yeah. And not like 100%. There's enough kind of uniqueness to it, but yeah, there's certainly mm-hmm. some stuff that I was like, okay, yeah, this is definitely borrowing. borrowing uh, this is where Texture kind of borrowed from. So, um, yeah, let's see. Uh, best line in the movie. Did you have a favorite line at all? Yeah, it would be the uh, "Are you making fun of me?" one. I also really like an, uh, a lot of uh, Tadakuda's lines in this movie, um, especially when he like when he's talking with Father Howard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I just think he's just like a fascinating character. Like from the get go, because there's there's a lot of history. Mm-hmm. Like I, th- that's the thing about uh, about some of the supporting characters in this. There's a lot of history and backstory that we never get and we're never privy to at all. That that um, is not e- exactly necessary, but it is really um, intriguing. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's I mean uh, Tadakuda's uh, like knowledge and stuff. And immediate, no, like knowing what Martin kind of is, yeah. uh, without tipping his hat to the audience, I think is very fascinating. Mm. Uh, my favorite line is when Christina asks Martin how old he is. He is. He says, "Oh, I'm <laughs> old." That's more specifically he says eighty-four. <laughs> right. Uh, and like, and like, he's like. Uh, I, I believe the actor was like like early twenties, like maybe just out of his teens too. Like he's young in this mm-hmm. one, and and yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and I and I think the fact that Romero grabbed an actor that is so green as well also mm-hmm. helps with the portrayal of Martin in a large degree. Yeah, a hundred percent. But. Uh... Yeah, and uh, I, I like the actress who uh, played Christine in this. Um, you know, I, I thought she did a pretty good job, all things considered. I was actually a little like hesitant about like like some of the characters at first, but but I like mm-hmm. her character. I wish we got to see the European version of this because Goblin does the score for it. Oh, that would have been awesome, right? I, I do love the Argento Romero connection because even in Dawn of the Dead, mm-hmm. they kind of work together on it to some degree. From yeah. what I could tell. And Argento's cut's different too, and we'll get on, into that on on uh, on the Dawn of the Dead episode. But nice, yeah, there's a lot of fascinating stuff to that movie, especially the first the first DVD set I bought of that movie. I can't, uh, I'm looking forward to talking about that. I didn't even realize there was an Argento cut. Now I'm like, hmm, I gotta find that because mm-hmm. that would be awesome. Um, all right, uh. Best performance in the movie. In the movie, yeah, I'm going with Christine. Christine. Uh, you know, I know, no, probably easy answer would be Martin, but uh, I like Christine. I thought she, uh, she she did a great job of uh, sort of balancing out Martin's kind of weirdness, more or less. Yeah, uh, I I'm gonna go with uh, Lincoln Mazel uh, as Kuda. I've already said how much uh, John Amplis kind of elevates the movie. 
uh, his inexperience and everything really works with it. And it's it's an easy sell to say that John Amplis is the reason this movie works, because he is. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Lincoln Maisel as Kuda is it's, it's a it's a good performance. It really is. And I I think I mean, this whole movie gets shuffled aside and people to remember it. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's it's a fascinating, fascinating performance. Uh, the, the top three there. Uh, uh, John Applis, Lincoln Maisel, and Christine Forrest are just uh, really, really, really great performances. Yeah. All right. Um, best kill in the movie. Uh, I honestly like the first time that Martin kind of brings the razor blade out. Like, the, just the very first. I just, uh, the romanticness of it. Um, As far as filmmaking goes, I just think it's it's such a pristine scene that is like sensual horror. I, I, I don't know how else to, to put it, but it, it always sticks with me. It's just kind of his first use of that razor blade. Mm. I'm going to say uh, Martin's death at the end again wakes up and he just, he just the stake driven through him. I always like that. Kind of maniac. Like it's kind of like, remember the dream sequence in maniac? Yeah, it's it's very. It's yeah. almost like it's almost like Lustig had a little bit of that in his mind. Yeah, a little bit, eh? Yeah. Uh, all right, uh, dumbest decision in this movie. Hmm. I I mean, all, a lot of it can just be attributed to Martin's naivete. Um, yeah. for being an eighty-four-year-old vampire, he does. He does lead a, a lot of uh, a trail of bread com- crumbs at a certain point. Yeah. And yeah, uh, I mean, it's an easy. The easy answer is, is is when Martin starts to get a little bit careless in his work. Yeah, I think uh, that was kind of what I was going with too. I was also gonna say when um, Christine has uh, sex with him because he clearly is kind of a creep. I don't know yeah, I don't know how that how how that was just like a, a decision in her mind to be like, yeah, okay. Yeah, this guy's normal. This is uh, you know, and I think he even says something like, "Sorry for not using a condom." And I'm like, "Oh, this just keeps getting worse." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I think that was, the whole time they were talking about that, I was just like, "Oh gosh," like. This is, yeah, this is not going well, so. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's time to rate this movie. What would you give this a score of? Uh, I mean, originally when I saw it, yeah, it was it was trending at like an 8 or a 9. Uh, just because, um, I, like, I'd never, I hadn't seen anything like it in, in that form where someone just believed themselves to be fully... A monster and uh and still being very much human at the same time uh and it's weird that it hasn't been tackled since and maybe because obviously nowadays it's problematic so i'm still settling with an eight like it does it 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 didn't pale that much to me on on the watch now and i think with everything that happens in the news and in these 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 fuckhead one-man armies kyle rittenhouse type shit that it's more poignant now almost oh 100 so so yeah uh i'm gonna stick with my eight yeah i was gonna go with the eight as well because it's just it's good i think 
visual visual is not as strong as it, as it could like cinematography wise also too i too i touch a vhs rip on youtube mm-hmm. so i kind of chalk it up to that i mean this movie honestly needs like a blu-ray edition screen factory it so does oh my god like a cleanup of it oh it would be so so great and to restore the actual like full-on print so yeah. we can get like a widescreen because i don't think i've ever seen it in a widescreen as well yeah and this movie is good it's not like great but i think it would be i i would like to see it with uh you know some higher graphical fidelity like some sprucing up like man if you can get this in 4k that would be great like oh my god well they did it with maniac and they did it with um there's been a few that they, they did a 4k i mean shit i just got an entire hitchcock box set of 4k remasters uh vertigo the birds mm-hmm. uh two cuts of psycho and um uh, rear window and those are older films done in 4k so yeah let's let's get on that shit because it yeah it, it's dying for for that redo yeah and even as i was, I was watching it like you sort of start to realize like yeah like there's there's some good stuff here um even like, yeah i watched the friday the 13th uh, box set that like yeah they did a bunch of 4k restorations for those so you know not saying you gotta do what friday the 13th does but you know it doesn't hurt. <laughs> no, never hurts. Cool. Um. Yeah. Well, well, some people find you on the internet. Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram at the Steevil Dead. Uh, my website stevestebbing.ca, and I am on the Shift every Thursday, 11 p.m. Pacific. Uh, just chatting the week's movies, all that kind of stuff, uh, TV and everything. Plus, every month I do a, like a monthly wrap-up uh, for Edmonton Radio on 6.30 Ched with Jill and Nye. And yeah, still uh, always looking for more radio work, more podcast work and all that stuff. So uh, hit me up if you're interested. There you go. Cool. Uh, and I'm over at ThreeAngryNerds.com where, uh, yeah, we just talk about other movies and stuff uh just reviewed uh the sequel to borat as well as well hell yeah yeah that was great as well oh so good episodes (laughs) of truth seekers coming to amazon prime which i wasn't that hot on but uh yeah uh until next time everyone bye for now